Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. As we continue our series, a firm foundation based on our four values, family, faith, following, and finding, that comes from our mission statement as a church. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others to find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. It's been wonderful to circle back to these values and talk about them over these last few weeks as Josh talked about family and following. Last week I talked about finding, just being on mission with Jesus and on mission together. And today I'm going to talk about faith, faith. Now, when we say faith, we have to understand something about the nature of faith. Faith doesn't exist by itself. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Faith always has an object. It's always looking at something. It's always relying on something, you know, faith in something. You know, so if somebody says, I have faith, I'm going to say, faith in what? And what is your faith in? And the question is, does the object of your faith produce for you what it's promising for you or what you're hoping that it will produce for you? Because ultimately, that is the question uh, about whether or not uh, our faith is worth anything at all. Faith is only worth the, the value of the object that you're putting your faith in. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I, um, when I was a kid, um, <clears throat> I was not a very good basketball player. I was, I was okay. You know, I was, I was hustle guy. You know, I, I'm the guy that you'd want on the floor if you want to like, you know, uh, scrap for loose balls and, you know, kind of body check people in the lane and stuff like that. But I I didn't have a good shot. I wasn't very good. And, you know, I, I'd play against my, my friends and rivals, Kenny Wetzel and Trent Schiffendecker downtown in little Gallupville, New York, where I lived, but I wasn't very good. And one Saturday I'm watching cartoons. That's when you, that's when you watch cartoons as a kid, when I was a kid, you know, back in the eighties, it was on Saturday morning. And during Saturday morning, they showed an advertisement for these, these super sneakers. They're Reeboks with this little spring in them, super sneakers. And if you got these sneakers, you were going to be able to run faster, jump higher, play basketball better. So I talked my parents into getting me these shoes. They got them for me. I put them on, and I called Kenny and Trent. I said, meet me downtown. Time for a little basketball. And of course, as you can probably guess, I was still a very mediocre basketball player with expensive spring-loaded shoes. My point is I had faith. I had faith that these shoes were going to be amazing and going to help me become the next you know, Larry Bird. But they didn't. So the object of my faith did not give to me what I was hoping for. It didn't give to me what was promised to me. And a lot of people in our society and culture have faith, but their faith is misplaced. Their faith is in something that's not reliable. So when we're talking about faith in this series of Firm Foundation, we're even talking more about the object of our faith than the faith itself. What is the object of our faith 
as Christians? Of course, the answer is Christ. But what do we mean by that? When we say faith in Christ, what do we mean? That means we're putting our hope in his work on our behalf and not our own work for acceptance by God and for salvation. And his work was done on the cross and in the tomb through the resurrection. He died as our substitute and he rose as our ransom. When he ascended to heaven, it's almost as if God is saying, the ransom is paid, I accept the sacrifice. The work is a finished work and therefore, as Christians, we can rest in him. The gospel is rest. That's why the book of Hebrews calls Jesus Christ our Sabbath rest. It's, it's sort of using the uh, Old Testament and New Testament and the picture of creation in the Old Testament as sort of an allegorical picture of salvation. You know, just like in, in the creation account, God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. The Old Covenant represents six days of work. And then the New Covenant, the New Testament, Jesus' arrival represents day seven. In Jesus, our Sabbath rest, we rest from our labors. We rest from our works. Christ Jesus has become our Sabbath rest. And so resting in Jesus and his finished work is everything in the Christian life. That we are accepted by God on the basis of faith in Christ. Uh, Romans 5.1 talks about being justified by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means we're made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in his work. Martin Luther in the Reformation said, wrote, justification by faith is the article by which the church stands or falls. That is such a powerful statement. And let's make this personal. I'm going to insert my name in there. Justification by faith is the article by which Derek stands or falls. Insert your name. Justification by faith is the article by which you stand or fall. Let's insert our church name in there. Justification by faith is the article by which redeeming hope stands or falls in any church. I will go as far as to say this. We can have everything else in this series, family, following, finding. We can have good, we can have good culture, you know? We can have family culture. We can have a devotion to uh, moral obedience and the commands of Christ in Scripture, you know, following Jesus, taking up our cross. We can, we can sort of have that. We can have a strong mission. We can be finding, seeking, you know, doing evangelism, doing missions, seeking to, to bring people to Christ, okay? We can have all of that. But if we don't teach faith in Christ, we're nothing and we have nothing. As a matter of fact, when Paul the Apostle met with the elders of Ephesus, in his last visit with them, he seemed to have one concern, a singular mind, and it was that the gospel message after his departure and eventual execution, that, his, that the gospel message would remain uncontaminated, it would remain pure, that it would be preached and protected by the elders. Now here's our text today, and here's how Paul said it to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, one through three. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Let me take us through this. He begins by saying in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers. What is he reminding them of? 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and our salvation in him. So this tells us that we as Christians, like the Christians in Corinth, need to hear the gospel over and over. I would remind you, brothers, and every Sunday, in a sense, we say as a, as a teaching ministry here at Redeeming Hope, whether it's Josh or me or someone else that's sharing, I would remind you, brothers, I would remind you, sisters, this tells us that the gospel is for Christians, not just, not yet Christians. It's for Christians. Tim Keller said, the gospel is not the ABCs of our faith, but it's the A to Z. And then we see the effect of the gospel in what Paul says next. He says, I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. So this tells us the effect. The, the cause is faith in Christ. The cause of our salvation is faith in Christ. And it's Christ's work, our faith in his work. And the effect of it is standing, you know, persevering in our faith, persevering in Jesus, in following him, and it's being saved. So this tells us first that the gospel saves us. He says, in which you stand and by which you're being saved. And then it tells us, as I mentioned, that we stand in it. To stand means, in the original Greek, it means to stand by, stand firm, or to be steadfast. This is not the idea of standing up for a moment and sitting back down, but standing continuously while you're being assaulted by storm or enemy. And Paul says, this gospel is so powerful and the Holy Spirit, as a result of believing it, is so powerful inside of you that it's gonna give you the grace to stand while you're being assaulted by storm or by enemy, to stand through the trials of life, to stand in suffering, to stand in faith, to keep continuously believe in Jesus. And, and he says, and it is, it is saving you. It has saved you, it is saving you, and you shall be saved. Verse three, my favorite part of this, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. He says, it's saving you. You're standing in it. He says, now I want to remind you what it is. Here he goes. He's about to tell us the most important thing. He says, this is of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, I would think he would say, based on some teachings that I've heard, I delivered to you as of first importance that you pray a lot. Not here. I deliver to you as of first importance that you go to church. You make sure you're going to church. You, you be a good boy. You be a good girl. You go to church. Doesn't say that. I deliver to you as of first importance that you read the Bible every day. Doesn't say that. Now, prayer is important. Going to church is important. Reading your Bible is important. But Paul doesn't say that this is as of first importance. What he says is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Why is this of first importance? Here's why. Because we can lose limb or eye and live. I can have certain organs taken out of me and I can live. But if I lose my heart, I die. In other words, we will no longer be a Christian church if we lose faith in the biblical Christ and what he has done. So what does it look like then 
to keep faith in Christ as of first importance. It means a couple things. Number one, it means we preach it. Acts 2.42 says that the early church gathered, and it's, the first thing it says is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is not simply Josh and me standing up on Sunday mornings and giving you, know, giving you a sermon. It's preaching the gospel to yourself. It's preaching the gospel to your family to your, and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a discipling community. It's everyone encouraging one another in the gospel together. So we preach it, and we're devoted to that. The second thing that keeping faith in Christ looks like, you know, keeping that as of first importance, what that looks like is we believe it. That means we, we let it get down in there. We let it get down inside of us. We swallow it. You know, just like, just like when, you, when you eat food, right? It goes down in, and it starts to move around, and it creates energy and life. And That's what we do. We take the gospel in, and we swallow it. He's the bread of life. We swallow it, and it begins to move around inside of us. James talked about faith like this. He said that the one who hears the word of God and doesn't believe it, doesn't obey it with faith, is like someone who looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. He walks away and forgets what he looks like. See, we're supposed to look at the gospel and go, oh, that's who I am. Oh, that's who he is. Oh, that's what he has done. And it's supposed to remind us of all those things so that we can live uh, a life based on promises, a life based on truth, and not a life based on, not a life based on feelings. Author C.J. Mahaney says in his book, Living the Cross-Centered Life, that the symptoms of not believing are three things. What he calls subjectivism, number two, condemnation, and number three, legalism. What's subjectivism? That's just, you're up, you're down. Your experience with God is very subjective based on your feelings. You sort of feel your way through your walk with God based on your feelings. And your feelings uh, are paramount. You know, God loves me and God doesn't love me. I feel saved, I don't feel saved. I feel close to God, I, I feel like I'm not close to God. I feel like he's abandoned me. And it's just like constant, just the subjectivity of your feelings is a feeling-driven life, not a faith-driven life. Another symptom of not believing, he says, is condemnation. That's just living in, in the fear of, the of you bearing the ultimate consequences of your sin in this life and the next life. It's, it's feeling judged. It's feeling discouraged. And you know, I've likened it to when a police officer stops your car. If you've ever been stopped by a police officer, he never commends you. Never says, oh man, you did a great job, great driving. He always points out your infraction of the law. That's his job. And you, you, you're nervous, you're trembling. You, you, you try to hand him the, your license and registration. You don't want to get a big ticket. You're in trouble. Compare that to a, a passenger in the car, a friend or a family member, encouraging you to teach you how to drive. Here's the thing. When you're under law, when you are living in condemnation, that police officer is always in your window. You always feel discouraged. You always feel condemned. And that comes from not believing, not fully grasping or believing the gospel of good, the good news of God's grace, that it's a finished work and we can rest in him. And the last thing is legal, legalism. That's just basing 
basing your uh, acceptance by God, basing it on your performance. It's, it's, it's believing that your acceptance by God um, is, is warranted by your obedience to God. I'll say it that way. It's legalism. It's, it's a legal relationship. And so when we live like this in subjectivism or condemnation or legalism, it affects not only our own hearts, but it affects how we relate to others. There, there's this, this picture I want to show you of, uh, we call it the love triangle. And you, have, you have God, me, and others. And I don't know if that's backwards. It might be backwards if you're seeing that, but um, you get the idea. Um, this is an unhealthy life. If you believe that God's love for you begins with you, then guess how you're going to relate to other people? If you believe that you have to perform for God before he loves you, then that's how you're going to relate to other people. They're going to have to perform for you for you to accept them. And then people run away from God in that scenario. They can't see him. They can't see his beauty and his glory and his love. Here's a more healthy picture of what it looks like to believe the gospel. My love for God doesn't begin with me. John said we love him because he first loved us. So my love for God is in effect a response to his love for me. And if I believe that, if I receive that kind of grace and that kind of love from God, guess how I relate to others? They don't have to perform for me, for me to love them. Just as God has loved me, I can love others, and then people can see God. They see him in us. That's why the Bible says we're like, we're like walking Bibles. We're living epistles, read by, read by all. So, we have to then do what Paul said, which is fight the good fight of faith. I want you to think about what he said there. He encouraged us to fight the good fight of faith. He said he'd fought the good fight of faith. What, that, what does that mean? He fought to believe. It doesn't say to fight the good fight of, you know, against sin. Not that we're not battling sin, we are. But Paul described everything as a, a battle of faith. So we don't fight sin. That's useless. Our battle lies in whether or not we believe the gospel. That's what we need to fight for. Victory over sin is an effect of faith. It's an effect of believing the gospel. And so our, where we win or lose is, is in battling every day to believe that Jesus is enough, to believe that his sacrifice is enough, that he, he saved me, he rescued me, he loves me. And he gave himself for me. And that his sacrifice is a sufficient sacrifice to wipe away every blot on my record before God. And that he took it for me. So we battle to keep our faith in Christ. And that's what will keep us from subjectivism, condemnation, and legalism in this sort of self-righteous way and divisive way we approach other people sometimes if we live a life that is based on performance. So we preach it. That's, that's what it looks like to keep faith in Christ as of first importance. We believe it. And finally, we fellowship around it. Because faith in Christ is the center of the gospel, 
faith in Christ is also the center of our fellowship. In other words, what brings us together is faith in Christ. We come from all different walks of life. Some of us would never relate to one another. The only thing, the only common denominator we might have is faith in Christ. That's what brings us together. So our relationships are built around that. Our unity is maintained by it, and our actions toward one another are trained by our faith in Christ. In other words, it, it, we are not, we do not come together based on our affinities or our preferences. We come together because of Jesus and our faith in him. And in that fellowship, we keep the center of our culture and the center of the gospel pure and remain aware and cautious of the temptation to add things to the gospel. Because when we add things to the gospel, when we add our preferences, our affinities, we begin to divide with other Christians. When we say, uh, if I'm going to fellowship with you, it's faith in Christ plus don't smoke cigars. Faith in Christ plus only watch Christian movies. That's, that's legalism. That, that's a legalistic relationship. You're, you're basing your fellowship with someone else on your preference. And you're making your preference an issue of sin and righteousness in a way that the Bible doesn't make it an issue of sin and righteousness. Faith in Christ plus no instruments in church. Faith in Christ plus homeschool. Faith in Christ plus vote for Trump. Well, now I'm getting in our stuff here. Faith in Christ plus don't vote for Trump. Over the last few years, faith in Christ plus vaccinate. Uh, then faith in Christ plus don't vaccinate. Faith in Christ plus masks. Faith in Christ plus no masks. You know, in, in the previous church that I was pastoring in, we faced all kinds of legalisms, people wanting to add to the gospel. I remember uh, during the, uh, the pandemic, I received an email from a church member that said that if you wear a mask, you are a Muslim. Because, you know, Muslims wear the, 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 what are they called, the hijabs and the, the masks. And we met with them, some, a couple of elders and I, and we're like, bro, you can't accidentally become a Muslim, right? You're making this thing an issue of, of sin and righteousness for other people. You're making it a political thing, and it's not, it's not political at all. It's a matter of faith, and the faith that you have, you keep to yourself, and we celebrate. You might have a different view than we do on this topic, and that's fine, but don't make it an issue for your brother. Don't make it a stumbling block or an issue of division for your brother, and that's what you're doing. I remember another day, I was standing in the foyer of our church. We actually were, at the time, young in our church plant in Grace Life in New York, and we were renting from another uh, facility, and in, our, in the foyer there, after the service, there's a Christmas tree up. And this visitor had come to visit our church, and he said, I really like the service. I said, great. I love the word. Great, great. Thank you. Praise God. And he goes, but what's that? I said, what? The Christmas tree. I said, what you talking about, bro? He says, I don't believe that Christians should have Christmas trees. And he started telling me, you know, his theories about Tannenbaum and the origins of the Christmas tree and everything. I'm just like, mm-hmm, okay. I said, listen, um, sounds like if you had a Christmas tree, you would be sinning, and you need to follow your conscience on that. That said, if you're going to come here, do not make it an issue of sin and fellowship for other people, because that's the kind of stuff that splits and divides churches. And I'm assuming he had done that in other places. He never came back. But I also protected the flock from someone who was going to bring division into the body 
over Christmas trees. Uh, another story, just giving you some examples just so you can see how this plays out. When, when we were at Grace Life in Western New York, we had communion once a month. Here we have it at Redeeming Hope weekly. I always wanted to have it weekly, but we had it once a month at, at Grace Life. And, uh, you know, we, we had people in different, different views on that. And, and uh, you know, uh, once a month is fine, some said, and, you know, you know, is, is once a week too much? And, and uh, is it too little? And so we had some people who thought we weren't doing it enough. And they, they were like, we got to have communion every week. And uh, of course, like I said, I leaned that way. That's my preference. Um, so anyway, we, we started having it. We, we were having it every month. And I had, a, I had a woman come up to me after a service. And she'd been going to our church for a while. And she said, um, Pastor Derek, um, can you help me with something? I said, sure. She said, I feel like we take communion too much. I'm like, okay, do tell. She said, at the previous church I was in, the pastor taught that since Jesus originally uh, instituted communion on the Passover, which was an annual event, he taught that we should only do communion once a year. I'm like, first time I ever heard that. And I said, you know what? Um, I do not believe the Bible that, you know, I don't believe Jesus was giving us a a pattern of the frequency of communion. Paul actually said whenever you come together. So there seems to be more said about it in, in um, Jesus said that too, in, in Paul and Jesus' writings, and then, then you know, simply looking at the Jewish calendar. So uh, I said, you know, we're going to continue to have it monthly. We might even have it weekly. So it's just funny. You had two people in two different camps. You had communion. You're having it too much. You're having it too little. And if either of those sides divided over that, it would split the church. That's the stuff that splits churches. And the, the funny thing is, Oftentimes, churches become more known by what they add to the gospel, and, and individuals become known by what they add to the gospel than by the gospel itself. Um, you know, if your gospel is Jesus plus, uh, you know, post-millennial eschatology, you know, just this this whole view of the end times that, and you've got amillennial amillennialism and, and premillennialism and and uh, different ver- even different nuances within that. It, it sometimes churches make their end time theology an issue of sin and righteousness. In other words, if you believe what we believe about the end times, you're in. If you don't, you're out, and you are not believing the gospel, and you are not following Jesus. And it's just like that is not faith in Christ. That, that's faith in a certain a certain brand of eschatology, a certain view of the end times. It's not that we shouldn't study those things or consider those things, but, but the, the gospel does not teach justification by your eschatology. It teaches justification by faith in Jesus Christ. So here's what we see in scripture. Faith is the instrument to receive salvation. Charles Spurgeon likened it to an old rusty pipe that you reach across this chasm to reach this clear, crystal clear water, this life-giving water flowing down this this little, this little uh, cliff, and you, you reach over and, and you, you put the pipe in. And the, the pipe, he said, doesn't save you. The water saves you, but the pipe is an instrument to get the life-saving water. And that's what faith is. It's the instrument to receive salvation. Faith is the center. Number two, the faith is the center of our fellowship together. It's what brings us together. It's what keeps us together. It's what makes us a Christian church. And finally, faith is the engine of the entire Christian life. Faith is the engine 
of the entire Christian life. So in other words, to be sanctified, to grow in Jesus, we do that on the foundation of our sanctification, of our justification in Christ. That means every day we need to go back to this gospel. We need to go back. We need to remind ourselves of it, that I'm complete in Christ. I rest in Christ, and therefore I can bear fruit, bear the fruit of a, of a life that believes that. And, and, and so you don't do justification. You don't, you don't do uh, salvation. It's done. You just receive it as a gift and you believe that and you stand on that foundation and then he begins to work in you the sanctified life where you begin to grow in obedience and you grow in the fruit of the Spirit and you grow in those things. But those things don't save us. We do those things because we are saved. We are in him and he has done the work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in those who believe. And we say like the old disciples did, we do believe, help us overcome our unbelief. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching today. And of course, remember, as I've said several times already, let your heart believe it. Jesus is enough. God bless you. Until next time. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.